Are you a business owner looking for real advice and input? You're in the right place. From concept to launch to growth, funding and beyond. Welcome to Startup Hustle with your hosts. One once sold a business for $150 million. The other, the author of Million Dollar Bedroom. Here are your hosts of Startup Hustle, Matt DeCourcy and Matt Watson. Hello and welcome to Startup Hustle with Matt DeCourcy and Matt Watson. How are you, Matt? Doing pretty good. You pretty excited about today's guest? I'm very excited. I'm I'm ready for a little hip hop. Well, let's uh, let every let's introduce everyone to Roy Scott. How you doing, Roy? I am outstanding. Appreciate you guys having me today. Well, there's a couple of reasons I'm pretty excited about today. Roy's got a history in music, and for those of you that are just getting to know me, I did work in the music industry for a while, so I have a lot of passion for the subject. But Roy's got it all covered. He's uh, he's been on Shark Tank. He's got a tech startup, and he's a musician. He's also found the right time in life to reinvent himself and done an amazing job of it, and I'm really looking forward to hearing that story today. You ready to, ready to do some talking here? I'm ready to do it. Let's rock. Well, let's, let's actually go ahead and start with where you started in music and what brought you up to your current venture, H3TV. Got you. Well, uh, as a kid, I was always had a passion for music. I just loved it. Uh, as I mentioned, my dad, he was in a band. So uh, the little bit of time I did spend with him, I was around music. You know, I was uh, if it was him performing at the clubs or wherever he's at, I was with him watching them. So I just had a passion for music and I wanted to create my own music. And so uh, fast forward, uh, he had a, a home studio. And he had a couple keyboards in the basement, had a Roland XB80, XB60, and I just started producing on it. Um, and then I just started writing to the music. I always loved to write. I mean, back then it was like, you know, when I was a kid, I was listening to Criss Cross. Uh, from that, I was kind of like Bone Thugs and Harmony, Tupac. And so I just started writing kind of more kind of like gangsterish type music <clears throat> as, a, as a kid and um, put out my first project when I was 17, 18 years old in the streets of Kansas city. And, um, that's really how I kind of got started doing hip hop kind of underground Kansas city hip hop. Now with that, you, you carried on with that for a while, but brought it up to a certain point where you realized maybe this isn't what I want to do. Yeah. So, uh, man, we, we got quite a bit of traction with it. I started, uh, actually with the record label Midwest side, that was the same record label that tech nine started on. So I was with tech nine for a while. We recorded a lot of quite a bit of music, had some big opportunities, but, uh, kind of had my light bulb moment uh, when my son was born, but he was probably about three or four years old at the time. I was picking him up from school one day because my son, I really, I really wanted to be a better, you know, structure and better dad for my kids than, than what I had growing up. And so uh, my son was a major influence on my life. So I was picking him up from school one day. We were headed home and I was playing my music and he was repeating the music word for word. You know, not a word promote this music promoted drugs, violence, you know, uh, degraded women. So this is like my light bulb moment that, you know what, you know, I can't do this anymore. And even more than just as a musician, but as a as a dad, you know, I was like, I can't be this type of influence on my son. I reflected on my journey coming up and how influential music was on me. And I was like, you know, what, I'm not going to be this for my son. And that's when I pretty much gave up that day. I like, man, I'm done with this form of music. Um, but it inspired me to create a positive alternative, which is H3. That's healthy hip hop, where we take that same urban hip hop beat, but just put a positive message behind it. 
And um, we found success with that. And so, because a lot of the times when you think about kids, music, it's watered down, right? It's like the yo gabba gabba, not knocking them. They had their own success in their own right. Um, but it's like watered down, like kids bop, like this a watered down version of the original. Healthy hip hop is like the same beat that, you know, their favorite artists, you know, Drake, 2 Chains, whoever their favorite artist is, it's that same energy and vibe, but the message is all positive. And so we found success with that, started doing a lot of live events. Um, and also, um, you know, the parents were loving the music because it was actually music they can listen to their kids without going nuts. You know, a lot of times you're like, oh my God, I got to listen to this, you know, freaking ABC song again. I'm going to go crazy. But this is like, the beat was so hard. Like, man, I love the ABCs. I love wheels on the bus. Like this is, I can, <laughs> I can actually rock to this. So we found some success in that. Matt, you know, quite a few children's songs, don't you? My favorite, uh, my kid's favorite is the apples and banana song. I don't know that one. The, the apples and they change it to the, the, the vowels. Yeah. Yeah. And bononos. Yep, yeah. That song, that one. You're not willing to perform a small piece of it or. Uh, I don't know. We, we can go for it. Did you want to? Yeah, all right, here we go. Here we go. The Rochambeau. You ready? Yeah. Oh, De wins, and so, Watson will be performing. Let's just get like let's just five to ten seconds. Just so it's just the um, I like to eat, eat, eat apples and bananas, and then it well, no, no. When to, I say eat, eat, it's equals and bananas. Well, then no, they're like the out. second verse. It changes, okay. and it goes like uh, eat. Yeah, and it does apples and bananas, and then uh. Opals and bonotos and whatever. Yeah, yeah. that song. Uh, but that was, was that, that was that, that, that goes like I'll sing it. It's there we go. I was <laughs> gonna say, is someone gonna sing a song? Like, right. like to eat, eat, eat yeah. apples and bananas. That right. That's it. I like to oat, oat, oat. There Opals we go. And banono, so you just change and it. Up. This is all brought to you live <laughs> in the startup also studio in Leewood, Kansas. Hey, we want to do the healthy hip hop version of that next. Yeah, I was just I, thinking of that. I like going that. Thanks, Matt. I'll tell you, Roy, I don't know if you're aware of this, but Matt is like the Cleveland Browns of Rochambeau. Like, it is really bad. Well, I've seen the championship t shirt, <laughs> yeah. so I knew it had to be bad. Yeah, and, and, I, and I think I'll post a picture of that on the startuphustle.xyz <laughs> website because Matt actually has admitted defeat and bought me a t-shirt that said that I'm the Rochambeau champion. It's, <laughs> it's pretty epic. It's I, pretty sad. I, I'm, I tried to figure out the mathematical chances of losing or tying in that many times in a row. And I, I don't have, pro, I don't have enough processing power. It was pretty well. So, yeah. well, congratulations on your pivot. Now you started the healthy hip hop movement, but Tell us more about like the startup nature of it and the things that you did outside of live performing and some of the things that you're doing. So when we first started Healthy Hip Hop, so basically the year I started, uh, I met my business partner, Reggie Reg, the magic man. So at that time, Mayor Funkhauser was the mayor. He was doing an event called Schools First. I set up a booth there. He was hosting it. And I just seen he had something special, you know, with the kids. Like he just had this. He's like the Eddie Murphy for kids. Big smile, you know, big personality. He's, he has this magnetic like aura that you know when he's he's around, you want to be around him. And so I seen that, and so so I knew that I needed something special like that because my transition was I'm coming from gangster rap to now doing kids music. So it's like a whole 180. So I can't be you know grabbing my nuts and getting you know for the kids. It's a <laughs> you know it's a, it's a different. You know, <laughs> It's a different game, right? So I knew I knew that. I was like, man, I gotta I gotta learn how to, you know, perform. You know, it's a different performance. So I met Reggie. 
you know, I was like, man, let's follow up. So I was like on fire when I first, I'm still on fire. But when I started, I emailed him the next week or text him next week, took him to lunch, got him in the studio the week after that. We recorded a song called Happy You Know It, Clap Your Hands, but like the hip hop version. And he had already been a professional entertainer, you know, for the last 10, 15 years in, in another market. He's originally from Baltimore. He uh, went to school in uh, college in Charlotte. And so he performed it. He was a professional magician. So he was doing magic in Charlotte. And that's how he was making a living on, on top of some of his other hustles he was doing. So in Kansas City, he got he, he brought, was brought to Kansas City for real estate and a little quick background on, on Reggie. Uh, his uncle is a real estate mogul in LA on the West coast, you know, like a $20 million portfolio. And he got duped and bought some properties here in Kansas city, some commercial real estate properties. And that he was an LA sucker. He got duped. Basically Reggie came, renovated the properties, made, um, uh, made him a um, profit of about 600 K on the properties. And then he stayed here. He's like, man, well, I'm gonna let you manage these other things. But long story short, Reggie probably got to about about a million and a half. Uh, he was worth about a million and a half on paper. Probably about four hundred that four hundred k that was liquid. The rest was assets. And then uh, the market was coming up to crash two thousand seven, two thousand eight. And his uncle told him, like, "Hey, you need to pull out whatever you can. You need to back out because it's happening and here. It's going to happen. It's coming." So Reggie, long story short, Reggie didn't listen. Ended up losing absolutely everything. And so when he lost everything, that brought him back to magic because that's how he was making money before. So when he started performing this market locally, doing the magic, you know, he was still doing 50, 60 K a year just on performing. And that's pretty much unheard of. And this dude's work ethic is crazy. So when I connected with him, he was like, man, I'm doing these shows. So I just started doing a couple of shows with him here and there. And then it started organically growing to where we were doing together about 30 performances a month, which is still because a lot of that's a lot of shows over the last five years, we've done over 1500 events together. And so we've traveled the country doing that. We found success doing that. And we knew we had something special. But when we were talking to investors, mentors, advisors, et cetera, they're like, well, yeah, that's that's great what you're doing, but that's not scalable. You know, we can't put you can't we can't scale you on Reggie. And the shows we were doing were on like a grand scale. We did some bigger ones like we partnered with the LeBron James Family Foundation in Akron. Uh, we worked with Oklahoma University for their uh, Division One basketball games. We did like their halftime show. So we did some bigger ones, but they weren't as consistent. We were doing more of the kind of smaller shows, you know, 300 to 500 kids and maybe getting paid, you know, $1,000 a pop, which isn't bad, but it's not scalable. You can't clone yourself? Not yet. Like you said you had a kid, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. He's kind of a clone, but that's why I need you. I'm trying to partner with you. I know you get the tech thing going. I need you to, I need you to, clone, me. I need you to clone me and Reggie so we can be everywhere. I've, I've got my own clone. He's, okay. he's eight, and it's kind of scary. Oh, yeah, it's two true. of your yeah, <laughs> clone of yourself. Exactly. Exactly. So I'm hoping, hoping my clones turn out better than me. So, uh, But anyway, during that process, we were like, man, we got to do more. So we did a kid's television show. And the problem was hindsight 2020, we kind of did it the wrong way. So we went and did a television pilot, a 30 minute pilot episode, had a sizzle reel. We pitched it some on the West Coast. We were thinking we're going to be this like contemporary Sesame Street. And so um, the game had changed and the production company we were working with were kind of old school. We really realistically should have been putting out one piece of content at least or two a week on YouTube and building it on YouTube. That's the way it was going because we started this doing that probably 2011 with them. But instead, we did a 30-minute pilot, pitched it, 
and networks liked us, but they were like, yeah, we'll like, for example, Amazon, we got a bite with them. They were like, yeah, we, we'll play you, but you needed 24 episodes. We were like, yeah. We talked about that when yeah. I met you yeah. earlier this year and we're chatting about that, that they wanted, you know, 25 completed episodes. And I think and the next question I asked was how much does it cost to film an episode? Exactly. How much was that? I mean, and we on the low end was going to be around, you know, 10 to 15 grand so per episode per episode. So that's already a quarter so they, had, they had to come to the game with a half a million dollars of pre-recorded two seasons or at least one season worth of material. Exactly. And then so so I guess hindsight 2020, we just did it wrong. Could we, you sell your clone and get that money? Possibly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that we just did it wrong. We should have been on YouTube because that's where kids are at. So anyway, long story short, we knew we had with that in mind that we needed that money. We knew we had to raise some capital to basically scale up and put some operations in place and, and create some more of this content. So we started putting our business plans together, you know, pitch decks, financial documents, like, okay, we got to start operating like a business and thinking like this versus just, you know, two entertainers, two performers, because that's how people looked at it. Oh, you're great with just two performers. And especially in this market, they're like, we don't know what to do with you, you know, great, but you're performers. We don't know what to do with that in Kansas city. So, um, during that process of putting all our, you know, all our stuff in order to raise some money, we had got selected to pitch on season seven of Shark Tank. And so for this, obviously, this is like about to be the game changer for us. Like, well, man, we're about to get national exposure. I think they did the um, uh, an analogy that that us airing would have been equivalent to a five million dollar, you know, uh, advertisement because they were averaging seven to 10 million viewers on their show. You get so much exposure. So we're like, man, this is our tipping point. This is about to change the game I have, for us. I have a couple questions before we get into that, because okay. the, the the experience and what you went through with Shark Tank is, and stick around. If, you, if, if you're not captivated yet, you need to stick around, because it's a pretty amazing story. Now, how did you even get exposed to Shark Tank? Like, how did they even know who you were? What did that, you know, how did that whole thing come, gotcha. come down the... So what happened, you know, so we're doing stuff here locally and everybody is like, you know, they love us. They're like, well, you know, you, you should go see Oprah or you should get on Shark Tank, right? Like, well, yeah, that's it's like layers to that. That's, that's sure. Like, no problem. Yeah, exactly. I'm right on it. So, yeah. That's like when people are like, you should just find a couple enterprise customers. Yeah, yeah. no problem. Sure, I'll, I'll do that. Exactly. I'll, I'll put that on my calendar for tomorrow. So, but what I did look at, I was like, well, how can I get on Shark Tank, right? So I basically just did a quick Google search. And there was two ways. One was you can submit an email submission. And the other was there was an upcoming casting call that was going to be in Houston, Texas. Now, me and my business partner, Reggie, we had already been traveling the country, performing, doing educational conferences. So we were like, listen, I told them, I'm going to submit this email. If they don't respond, we're driving to Houston. And so I was getting prepared to send an email. Reggie was like, man, I don't even waste your time with that, bro. They're not going to respond to an email. I was like, well, listen, I'm just going to send it. Like I said, we're driving to Houston if they don't respond. So I sent the email on a Monday. We had two performances that next day in Lawrence, Kansas on a Tuesday. As soon as we got done with the second performance, my phone rings and my caller ID says Sony Pictures. I'm like, okay. Like, I'm like, like this is Roy. And they're like, yeah, this is a Shark Tank. Can you tell us about healthy hip hop and your business model? So I was like, yeah, of course. So I just tell them our business model, you know, how we're made, how we generate revenue. Cause we also had a curriculum. So we had exercise curriculum. We were doing after school programs cause we were trying to find ways to diversify what we're doing and we could start making more money than just performing. So we had a curriculum, we had the television show. So the syndication of a TV show, the publishing, the writing, producing of our music. So I kind of broke down everything. It was like, okay, well, we'll get this to our producers. If you make the next, uh, next round, you'll get an email and you have to do a video submission. 
We were like, cool. So I tell Reggie, he's like, man, are you serious? Like, yeah, bro. They caught so that was like basically like hitting the lottery. Because even on the email thing, it says, you know, only send one email. We'll get a million of these and we're probably not going to respond to you. So this, bro, this sounds a lot like getting funded. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we've talked about that a lot on our show lately that, that, you know, why is it so difficult to raise money for your startup and the different things? And it says, well, because there's these people get a million emails and exactly. what can you do to stick out? Um, before we get into the story, was there something that you did to really stick out in that email? Was there something that, well, that you know, because here you have a bunch of talented people with good ideas and probably even more with bad, yeah. but you have to make yourself stand out. So actually, there was a book I was reading at that time called Pitching Hacks. I don't know if you guys heard of Pitching Hacks or not, but it's a real easy read. It's got to be maybe 50 pages, maybe. But Pitching Hacks kind of talks about that. It's got, it talks about, you know, your elevator pitch. It talks about what your um, high concept pitch, which is like your business like in one sentence and then it also addressed sending cold emails and how you can you know put them together to get get that attention so i was just reading pitching hacks i was like man let me just take a look at that so it kind of addressed how to send a cold email so pitching hacks you could probably find it online so reading books works reading books works man i don't read a lot of books i was gonna say no i don't read a lot either but i'm about to start more but reading books works all right so here here you are you're coming on shark tank what did you have to do to prepare for that? Okay, so after we did the video submission, which me and Reggie, you know, we got the energy, we got the charisma, you know, performing is our thing. So we knew once they see the email submit, once they see the video submission, pretty much they get to the next round. We're confident in that. So after the video submission, basically you do a phone call if you get to the next round every week with one of their executive producers. And so each week, you know, you're kind of going over your pitch. Um, basically, their hot spot for pitches is 90 seconds. You get a minute and a half to pitch your business. Now they gave us two and a half minutes because we actually brought our puppets. So as I said, we're contemporary Sesame Street. So we had two puppets, Hip and Hop, kind of like Bird and Ernie. So Hip and Hop were there with us when we pitched and we actually contracted like uh, four kids in LA, kid dancers. So we brought a full production to Shark Tank. So they gave us two and a half minutes. So we're going over our pitch and we're going over the money that we were asking for. Now, originally we were going to ask for $1.5 million, which is, ridiculously high. And as we look back, it was stupid. Right. And so they were like, well, you know, that's, you can ask for whatever you want, but we're like, you know, that's kind of high, but we can't stop you that you can ask for whatever you want. So me and Reggie came back to the table. We're like, let's just ask for 500,000, bring it down, which was still pretty high, hindsight 2020. But at the time we were like, let's ask for this 500,000 for 20% of our company, which makes a 2.5 million valuation, which is even a high valuation for our standards based on the fact we had been generating about 150,000 annually in revenue. So bottom line, we kept each week we met with the executive producers, fine-tuning our pitch. We had to submit all these uh our logos and stuff to get clearances for the trademarks because it's gonna be, you know, airing obviously on uh, ABC. So they had to get all these clearances. So how long was this whole process of getting prepped? Because so, it sounds like they're coaching and grooming yeah. you to be good on the show. So I sent the email in uh April. Uh they finally reached back in May. We started the first call in june so we basically met from june to the end of august and then in september was when they actually did the pitch when we did the pitch in september so and even we had a they wanted to see your business plan they wanted to see tax returns i mean they wanted to see absolutely it's almost like going for a vc i want to see absolutely everything that's what it sounds like even yeah. the time frame of like you know people say well i'll just go raise some money i'll get an investment i'm like you need six to nine months usually just to be told yes or no exactly or at least yes so we went through that process um 
finally made it to the last round. And they always kept you on pins and needles. They're like, well, listen, you know, you got to the next round, but it's not a guarantee, you know, that you're going to pitch. And so basically they get 50,000 submissions each year and only select 150 businesses to actually come and film. And then out of those 150 that film, only 120 air. So it's like you got all these odds you're up against, and they keep telling you, well, you know, you made it to this round, but you haven't officially made it to pitch. So that's weird. They film some, but they don't air them. Air them. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, yeah. We're going to tell you a lot about that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So we finally got the okay to listen. You guys have made it to film. So we're like, oh, okay, we're about to do this. And so, Well, well hang on. Do You had to do a lot of prep. Didn't they also coach you on being prepared for what could or would happen if they aired your episode? Well, the, the really only preparing we did was we, was the pitch part. So we basically had to do our pitch with them every week. Where we did our pitch over the phone with them virtually. And that was really all they were like, we're going to prepare your pitch. Because the one part of the Shark Tank that actually is reality TV is that the Sharks never don't know anything about your business. They've never seen you. you know, And, and that kind of one of those things kind of uh, went against us, too, as I'll get into that part of the story. Because when I sent the email to uh, Shark Tank, I also sent an email to Shark Branding. Now, Shark Branding is a company that's owned by Damon John. And so I sent the email to them saying, hey, you know, because I was just sending emails at the time. I didn't know who was going to respond. But when we're going through the vetting process, they were like, listen, we need to know, have you been in contact with any of the sharks in any form? We were like, no, we haven't been in contact. The next week we were on the phone, they were like, listen, we're going to ask this again. Have you, even if it's an email, have you reached out to anybody? And I was like, yeah, you know, we I, I don't I actually email Shark Branding. I didn't know that was separate or that was Shark, Damon John's company. So that's why when we actually pitched, they pulled Damon John off of our off of our pitch. So the sharks that were there when we pitched were Mark Cuban, Mister Wonderful, uh, Barbara, Lori, and Richard. And so basically, we were hoping Damon John was going to be one of the guys that was there because when Fubu was kind of going mainstream, that was when hip hop was kind of taking flight in the late 90s, early 2000s. So we were hoping he would be there. So he wasn't there. So long story short, we walked through all the crap, made it to go pitch. So when we come out and pitch, one of the things that we do that is pretty unique um, to most pitches is that we have a part where everybody gets up and participates. We do like a, a movement piece of it, right, where you get up and do a quick 30-second healthy hip-hop dance with us. So we actually did that. And every every shark got up except for Mark Cuban. So Mark Cuban looked at us like, hey, "This is a good joke. I'm not, you know, I'm not getting up, bro." Like that's <laughs> that's how he was looking. And so you know, we kept went through it. And so by the time you know they sat down and Mark Cuban started drilling, he was like, "Well, you know, how much money have you made in the last you know year?" And I was like, "Well, over the last three years, you know, we've made." And he said, "No, no, no, no. I asked you about just the last year." So he was already trying to set the tone. We were like, well, you know, over the last year, we've done, you know, $120,000. And he was like, okay. He's like, well, that's not, you know, it's not much. You're asking for 500000 So he was trying to see how does this justify what you're asking for? Because it was more about, you know, that we are right to the numbers. And we're, we were telling them, well, we're kind of pitching more based off of a children's media brand. Because usually it's very product driven. We're, we're like, we're syndication of a kid's television show, the publishing of our music that we own, you know, the curriculum, merchandise, and live events. So we were pitching the whole thing. And they were like, you know, still doesn't add, doesn't make sense, you know? And so part of that, they were asking kind of how I got started, right? And so that's when I kind of told the story about my son. And I was like, well, you know, it all started with my son. I was used to do hardcore gangster rap, but my son, Justice, a.k.a. the Jizzle Man, that's his nickname, the Jizzle Man, 
And, and that's uh, Matt's nickname too. Uh, you're the Jizzle Man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh man, we got a couple of Jizzles running around here. <laughs> I'm not sure what a Jizzle is. <laughs> we'll post that on the resources page of the website <laughs> later. Man, yeah. So, uh, but when I said that, Mark Cuban was like, "Hold on, hold on. You nicknamed your son the Jizzle Man. Like, <laughs> like you kind of like trying to make a joke about it, right? And you know, I kept my cool. But I kind of took like, and I was, I stood. I was like, "Yeah." I said, "He's the Jizzle Man." I said, "That's that's what you call swag, you know." And he kind of tell them, like, he was trying to break us. But I just stood strong, like, bro, I'm about to talk with my son. Like, I kept my cool, but, yeah, that's my son's nickname, right? Now, now one of the Sharks liked what you were doing. So, right. So, basically, so when we were pitching, everybody was beating us up. Everybody was like, but we were still staying resilient, even cracking jokes throughout it, right? So, uh, they were asking about Reggie's magic, and Reggie was like, you know, I'm the number one bro magician because he's a black magician, right? You don't see too many <laughs> black magicians, especially in Kansas City, right? So he's like, I'm the number one bro magician. So we were just saying little stuff to, you know, lighten them up. We still was getting beat up. So bottom line is that towards the end of it, even though Mark Cuban didn't get up and dance at the beginning, towards the end, he's like one of our biggest supporters. Like, man, I actually I can see the passion. I like what you guys do, but you're just asking for too much money. You were asking for fifty thousand. I may get it. I, I probably would have did it, but five hundred thousand is too much. So he was out. So by this time, we had got beat up. We came into it. So this is what I'm going through emotionally. We had came into it so confident, like we're about to smash this. We're about to walk out with a deal, hands down. And this is all in the context of two and a half minutes. Two and a half minutes, and it was probably about 10, 12 minutes of of question and answer of getting drilled. And so we're by that time we're eight, seven, eight minutes in. We're like, okay. Let's tuck our tails and get the hell out of here because we not we're not going to get a deal. Let's just hope let's just hope we get this aired and you know they'll see it. We'll get some exposure. So they were kind of going out one by one. They were all kind of saying the same thing. I like your passion, but I don't understand your business model. And then how much money you're making based on what you're asking uh, doesn't add up. So we had referenced the Wiggles in our pitch. And, uh, the Wiggles are like one of the few children's brands that stayed independent. They started in Australia. And so Mr. Wonderful knew the Wiggles whole business model. And actually, Mr. Wonderful, Mark Cuban, one of their best friends, one of the guys who started, one of their friends was one of the guys who started the Wiggles. So he's like, you know, you guys started started pretty similar to the Wiggles. They performed a lot locally in Australia. They did a television pilot. They got picked up by uh, public access television in London, and they kind of blew up. And also, he had been in the children's education space. Oregon Trail, a game we played with kids, that was that's his game. Carmen San Diego was another one of his properties. Did you know that? Who? For the, the Mr. Wiggles Wonderful. or who? No, or Mr. Mr. Wonderful. Mr. Wonderful. Yeah. I didn't know Oregon that. Trail. Yeah. I knew he would, had done some stuff in education, but I didn't yeah. know specifically yeah. those games. Or, Oregon Trail was Mr. Wonderful. I remember yeah. Carmen San Diego. Wow. I mean, San think Diego about that too. as far as like computer and software. Like I remember playing Carmen San Diego on an Apple IIe yeah. in like fourth grade. Wow. So that was all Mr. Wonderful. And I, I'm old like that. That and, was when and, floppy and, disks were still floppy and the up. monitor was very much attached to the keyboard. Exactly. Yeah. yeah <laughs> so, Apple IIe. Man, he was the guy who was behind all that. And so he's like, I've been in this space. He's like, you know what, guys? I'm going to make you an offer. Now, keep in mind, when he says this, at this point, the only thing that was really flashed in my head was the last time I had seen, uh, I used to watch a lot of Shark Tank last was this going to be a really bad offer, right? <laughs> well, not only, not only a bad offer. The last thing I seen him say was like, you know, I'll, you know, I'll squash you like a cockroach. Like, you know, get out, get out of here. Like he's yeah. like he's brutal. So from the extended offer, I was just all very like, whoa, you know. And they can't offer less than what you asked for. So he's like, I'll give you five hundred thousand dollars for fifty percent of just the kids' television show. I don't want anything else. And so uh, 
me and Reggie had already made up in our mind, like if anybody offers us a deal, we're going to go huddle with hip and hop to make it like good for TV, right? We need puppets, Matt. Yeah. We do need puppets. Yeah. <laughs> start up and hustle. Yeah. That'd be so perfect for a podcast. Yeah. 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 Everybody will be able to see them. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so we go and huddle with hip and hop. And I told Reggie, I said, listen, here's what we're going to do. I'm just going to counter for uh, 51% just so we can stay in majority. And so I come back out and I say, would you do that for fifty uh, for forty nine percent, leaving us with the fifty one? And then Mark Cuban was like, "Yeah, uh, Mister Wonderful, go ahead, get, you know, give it to him." And he was like, "No, I want fifty percent." We were like, "You got a deal," because because we, we knew more important than even this deal that once this episode airs, this is going to be our tipping point. This is going to give our national exposure, and the right people are going to see us. So, so here you are. You get your deal, and now you're now they're going to shoo you out the door, and you're the guys walking down the hallway. Woo! We got the deal. Walk, got the deal. So after we got the deal, Mr. Wonderful comes up, shakes our hand, shakes Hip and Hop's hand. Nice. I mean, this was <laughs> shakes Hip and Hop's hand. And then so we go back to the uh, another part of the studio where they kind of get, you know, where you kind of see the where they ask questions afterwards. Like, well, how do you feel you got to deal with Mr. Wonderful? We're like, you know, this is unbelievable. We're just so thankful. You know, you kind of the B-roll stuff or the after footage that they show. So we film that. We go back to the trailer and his CEO of his company was there. It's a young gentleman named Alex Kenji. He was there. He comes back to the trailer like, hey, guys, there are a lot of good ideas for you. You know, we're excited about this. We're going to make some stuff happen. And basically, I had a we had these jumpsuits. Right. So I had bought a, a black extra TV jumpsuit just in addition, just in case. And I said, I left it with him. Like, hey, man, you know, give this to Mr. Wonderful. He's like, cool. So when we're back there, we're kind of talking about everything. And uh, they're out of Canada. And so we were talking about our mission. He's like, yeah, because he, he was talking about Drake. He's like, yeah, I even like Drake. But, you know, some of the messages. And he's like, so that's why we're so excited about what you're doing. And and uh, my Reggie always is like, yeah, yeah. Like, he's like kind of a little John. He does a little more hype than that. And so by the end of the conversation, Alex was like, yeah, yeah. You know, he was, he was excited. <laughs> so we're like, man, we got these. Like, we'll start the due diligence process. We're going to get this thing rolling. So me and Reggie were on such a adrenaline high. We literally, when we had drove down there, we drove 24 hours straight back to Kansas City. Drove back, got him the document, started the due diligence process. And that was September of 2015. And so we were just waiting on the phone call of, all right, when this episode is going to air. Here in Kansas City, we had done one million cups before. So I worked with the Kaufman Foundation, had already kind of contacted them privately saying, hey, listen, we're just waiting on this phone call. When it comes, we want to do a watch party here. We want to do something really big and positive for Kansas City. And like, of course, you know, just let us at least give us a week notice. And we'll make sure we get this done for you. So that again, that was September 15th. So started the due diligence process, got all the documents they needed. Three months go by, January comes around. We haven't got the call yet. So I'm like, okay, you know, we're going to get it soon. We're still like, the call is coming soon. Three more months go by. So six months. And finally, March of 2016, we get a call. And at this time, my wife was actually home. It, oddly, at this time, it was like during a weird time during the day, like early in the day, she wasn't at work. And it was a 310 area code. And my wife was like, this is the call. You know, this is it. I was like, I'm just like, this is it. So I'm like, so happy. And I pick up the phone. I'm like, yeah, you know, this is Roy. And it was like, yeah, this is, uh, I forget the guy's name, but the Shark Tank, Bill's new Bill, something like that. It was a Bill with Shark Tank. Uh, just wanted to know, you guys did an amazing job, you know, but unfortunately your episode is not going to air. And I went from being 6'3 to like 2'6. And I was like, well, well what do you mean? It's not, uh, well, how, 
I couldn't even put words. I was like, what do you mean? It's not going to hurt. He's like, well, you know, the slots got full. Gave me some BS. Like, you know, just, it, it just didn't work out. You know, but you guys did great, man. You know, great job. So at this point, did you wonder if you still had a deal outside so, of outside of the actual? So that show? was my next step. So, and let me give you another part of the backstory, which also sucked about this. So not only did he call me and tell us our episode is not going to air, but I also had took a $25,000 loan out because they were like, you know, there's on Shark Tank, you know, make sure your website is beefed up. You want to make sure your warehouse is in stock, you know, because your website could crash. You want to make sure you're prepared. So not only did my episode not air, I'm $25,000 in the hole. I'm like, okay, excellent. So the next morning, you know, I get up and I email Alex Kenji. He's the CEO of Larry Ventures. I'm like, hey, can we talk? I want to make sure whatever we have is still on the table. And he was like, yeah, Roy, let's, let's get on the phone tomorrow. So we get on the phone the next day. I'm like, listen, I just want to be as creative as possible. And he was like, listen, Roy, before you go any further, you know, can I talk to you off the record? I'm like, of course. And excuse my friend. He was like, well, you guys got fucked. And I was like, well, what do you mean? He says, well, ABC, the network that Shark Tank comes on is owned by Disney. Disney looked at your children's programming as competition. So they pulled the plug on your episode. You know, welcome to Hollywood. And he was actually ordered to cut all communications with us. He wasn't even supposed to give us that closure. So I was fortunate enough to at least get some closure because I knew something funny behind the scenes happened. So at least he gave us some closure, but it was so cutthroat. He was actually ordered to cut all communications with and just, it was going to be over. Don't give these guys anything. So at that point, it's kind of the best and worst validation. It's like, well, wow, H3 is a threat to Disney, but also our life-changing moment just got thrown in the toilet. And also we got this news 30 days, you know, before my uh, business partner was getting married. So all his family and everybody was expecting, you know, this great news. And so, of course, we didn't tell him and anybody. We don't want to ruin the vibes of his wedding. We're like, man, we can't say nothing until this is over, bro. We got to just let the good vibes kind of ride. We're not telling nobody this until this is over, dog. And so anyway, so, he, so we get this. And, and to be honest with you, even to this day, you know, that's affected him. I mean, as far as even his role in his business, that was a blow to him. And, you know, it was a, it was a blow to me, too. But obviously. You know, it took me about two weeks. I was on my couch, like, you know, like, man, I'm not, I don't know what's next for us. I don't know how we're going to rebound from this. We were going to just be exposed to the masses. This is going to be our, our break. And now we're broke. And you know what I'm saying? So from the break to broke, break to broke, it's, uh, yeah. it happens to a lot of people, man. And like, this is probably the most extreme story I've, I've heard you know, from an individual just about like, I can't imagine the feeling. I can't imagine the feeling, but no, not, it not, not how no, it hurts. And then, so how do you recover from that? Like, what were, what was your path back? Cause you've definitely had a rebound and you've had, you've developed some things past yeah. this that, <clears throat> that are headed in a positive direction. So basically um, that the next week, so we got the call craziness. I'm a spiritual guy. And, uh, we had got the call on March 16th, 316. All right. So the next week we had a, uh, we had actually a partnership with a company called Centene Healthcare. Uh, they cover like all the Medicaid for the lower income families. And we did our exercise program at two of their states. One was Louisiana and one was uh, New Hampshire. So we had to go to Louisiana the next week. I mean, after we got the call, like the following week. 
So, man, we were just crushed, man. It was like, I couldn't believe it. I was pissed. But we went, did what we did, and I came back, and I was still kind of in my slump. But I was uh, watching Netflix. And when I was going through Netflix at the time, they highlighted a movie that, called, that was called Walt Before Mickey. And ironically enough, Walt Disney is from Kansas City, right? So uh, I was watching, and it kind of talked about some of his story, and it talked about him having these exact same moments. Like He had a moment where he was right there and kind of got what he called kicked in the teeth. And then one of the things he said in the movie is, so though, it's about you don't know what you're made of until you get kicked in the teeth and how you respond to it. And so uh, I seen that. And again, I'm very spiritual. So I was just I was pray- I prayed about it. And I was like, you know what? I just got to keep moving forward. I don't I don't know. We're going to get there. It's just going to be a different route. And so that's when, you know, I've been through a whole bunch. Of, I knew about these entrepreneurial resources, but I hadn't took advantage of them. So like I'm taking advantage of every entrepreneurial resource that Kansas City has to offer. And it's kind of crazy how Disney ties in all this because Walt Disney's from Kansas City. They're the ones who took a crap on me. And then one of the first guys that I met with is a guy named uh, Ron Green, who does digital storytelling. And they're trying to rehab the original Disney building. They got like the, the, on 31st and Truth, the lapo ground. And they got like, I think, like two million, they need like four million to do it so they had half the money so but he's like yeah we're, we're renovating the, the old disney building to bring it back but when i met with him he was like you know you should talk to these people you should go to the small business technology development center you should talk to katie booty with lean lab you know you should go to kaufman fast track so he told me all these things i'm just writing everything down and i knocked every one of them down so i was like i'm gonna start with the small business technology development center went there from there i did kaufman fast track when i did kaufman fast track i learned about digital sandbox and so, and before I get too much about the, the direction, well, we had to reflect on our journey to see where our success was at. And our success was in the education space where teachers were using healthy hip hop in the classroom to get the kids focused and ready to learn. So they were doing it to start their days with morning energizers. They were doing pre and post test taking. So it was all about education. So we were like, man, you know, we, we have a play here that we can pivot to an ed tech company. And so basically um, we had partnered with a group who would, who was doing something similar, but we were just taking it to the next level. So basically we, we needed to create our own platform that an educator could log into the platform, create a unique login, and then stream our music and video content on their smart boards. And then we're doing a, a learning application as well. So I said, this is the, this is the tech play that we're going to pivot into so we can scale this business up. And it's not based on us performing, you know, it's not based on just entertainment. So people can understand we have a, a legitimate business model because that's what we learned is we have something special, but we didn't have a business model. So anyway, I, uh, we got Digital Sandbox, which is a $25,000 grant to develop the first phase of your technology. Uh, from that, uh, we got accepted into Pipeline, Entrepreneurs. Uh, we got accepted into uh, Lean Lab. So Lean Lab is an ed tech accelerator program. We were fortunate enough to be the number one company at the end. We got an additional $25,000 grant from them. And we also got a grant from Launch KC for $50,000. And again, it's all about, you know, building the business. So now with the money we've got, so it's about $100,000 in grants, we've been able to develop the first phase of the technology. We're just getting ready to start doing some beta testing and then getting ready to go to the market first quarter of 2018. So, I mean, it was just like an incredible learning process. And part of the story was what told it because like we we pitched, we, we closed Kevin O'Leary. We right. closed Kevin O'Leary. That, that was pretty much when we, when we previously anybody. met. That was one of the things that I, I I don't know if you remember, but I said, man, I would think that if Mr. Wonderful on Shark Tank is ready to give you an investment, then someone else might be ready to exactly. do it. And I also 
had the opportunity to take a look at the technology. You gave me a little demo of what the streaming thing said, Matt. They have a product that, you know, it's, well, it kind of reminded me of uh, what are those games where you dance? The, yeah, like the Just Dance. Yeah, yeah like yeah, the Max. Exactly. And, uh, you know, it's so you can kind of, the, the technology that they're, they're building is, has the ability to stream to schools and different places where educators can lean on the content and everything that they've created. It's a interesting story. Now I know you don't, you haven't that some of that's still formative. And I, I, I think I'd like to have you back to at a later date yeah, to exactly. tell us how that's developed and sure. what some of the challenges are around that. Did, what, what do you think about this whole thing, Matt? So, you're going to be selling this to school districts now, or what? Right. what is the plan? Like, who is the target customer? So the chief academic officers, those are our targets. And so those are either going to be like your superintendents or the actual chief academic officers who make the decision for the districts. And so going through Lean Lab really kind of gave us a clear plan of action of how we get to that, because they specifically focus on education, ed tech, and they gave us a lot of connections and resources. And and, and there's a company called Pear Deck here uh they can start in Iowa, but they're based here in Kansas City. Or they, yeah, Iowa, I believe, or Nebraska, one of those. But uh, basically, we have a similar sales model. So they kind of gave us all of their stuff that's worked for them. They're grossing over $2 million annually. So they kind of gave us all that, like, you can utilize this. So basically, what we're doing with some of the lower-hanging fruits, we have a whole bunch of customers who are already booking us for live events, right? And they're paying us on average $500 to $1,000 for a one-time 45-minute assembly. So our thing was, hey, listen... Instead of paying that five hundred to a thousand dollars for that one-time assembly, would you be willing to pay fifteen hundred to twenty-five hundred for a year-long sustainable program, a year-long license to our content? And they're like, yeah, I mean, this is more valuable for them versus a one-off. You know, they can pay for the subscription, and so that works a lot on the school level. We have a lot of those customers that close on those. But then what we're doing is we're basically taking. 10 champions or 10 school uh, teacher champions who are using us in each district, getting gathering some of that data, using them as our testimonials, and then taking that to a district level to say, hey, listen, we already got 10 schools in your district using us. You know, they're vouching for us. We're, we're able to see an improvement in, you know, test scores, uh, a decreasing behavioral incidents, a few other met- metrics we're capturing. And then they cut the check on a district level to, okay, well, I'll cover the 20 schools at, you know, 40,000 a year for a three-year deal. And, Kansas City, obviously, we're one of the, and when it comes to schools, we're, our school districts are kind of segmented. So it's like a whole bunch of, you know, you got Kansas City, KCK, Lee Summit, Blue Valley. You got all these schools. They got 20 schools, elementary schools, 20 elementary schools. But, for example, I went to Atlanta, the DeKalb district, 100 elementary schools in one one district. So you're looking at, you know, a six-figure contract alone with just some of these bigger districts. So we're setting up. Uh, two spots. One is in Atlanta, the other's in Dallas. We already got reps in both of those places to basically take the, what we're doing in the small market of Kansas City and then spreading it out and generate more revenue doing that. So we've already got uh, three letter of intents. We already got three districts committed to us and we're working on closing more. So now it's about how do we scale this up? And I think there's even more, there's more of a play than just education, but I think this is our like entry this our this our entry to the market so we can start these generation revenue getting some more exposure but with healthy hip-hop we just think there's just so much more for example the next phase would be our mobile application which you can think of as like um a kid's bobble with hip-hop so every hip-hop song that comes out we have original music but we're going to basically do a uh, cover song for everyone that comes out but but given an app that lets parents stream that 
you know, directly to their Bluetooth or whatever. That's everybody streaming stuff now. So, and also allowing them to create some custom video content with their kids, kind of like a musically, but for education. So that's the next phase of our technology. But going through these programs and I'm learning so much, like I'm hyper-focused just on this one first one to get this off the ground, start generating some revenue. And then we can expand to others once we start closing on some more capital and start bringing more money in. So, Well, that that's awesome, man. Huge congratulations to you guys. I, I, I have think- a great idea, though. Wait, before we before we end, I have something here because, you know, let's be realistic. Matt Watson and Matt DeCourcy, we're, we're not, we need a little exercise. I think we need to end this episode of Startup Hustle with the Rochambeau where the, the loser has to do one minute of healthy hip hop. No, no, no. You're just picking on me now. <laughs> well, wait, I'm trying to give you no, a no, chance no, no, to no, win. No, no. I, I, mean, knew, I knew that's where this was yeah. going, too. Okay. I just knew it. Okay. I'm just trying, you know, I, 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 I like people. You want me singing and dancing and uh, what else? All is you there? have to do is win once. Eventually, the blind squirrel finds the acorn eventually. <laughs> but if you're not willing to do it, I mean, I, I, I'll be happy to Rochambeau Roy for a Respect the Hustle t-shirt. That'll work. Right, right, I want yeah. the t-shirt regardless. I'll probably give it to you. I'll probably I'll give it to you anyway. But yeah. you know, anyway, I, I want right. the t-shirt. I like the t-shirt. How mad are you going to be when he beats me? I won't be mad. He will. Be. It's just come to be expected. He will be. All right, ready? Oh, I lost. Hey, chop it up. <laughs> well, hey, Roy, thanks for taking your time. I know, I know you're busy, man, and uh, I want to keep up with your progress with some of this. Um, I'll probably do some healthy hip hop for the Startup Hustle YouTube channel at some point. Hey, well, here's what I'm going to do too. So, uh, and what I would love to do is uh, give me. Uh, I'm, I'm already looking at some information, but give me some key hot words, and I'm going to put like together a, a healthy hip hop jingle for y'all, bro. Oh, that's awesome. like that a lot. Yeah, I, I like, like that a lot. I've yeah, been uh, I've been trying to do the best DJ job I can for oh, the I intros you, and outros, but uh, yeah, I know. You, Roy sent me a couple tracks earlier. I heard one of them's titled Hustlin'. And, oh, nice. And I was oh, like, yeah. oh, man, hey, I got to figure out some good spots. Well, <laughs> yeah. thanks for uh, listening, everybody. Hopefully, this is an inspiring story for all of you. If you get a chance, go to the Startup Hustle website at startuphustle.xyz, where I will post not only links to the book that you mentioned earlier, and also to some of the H3 TV stuff, maybe a video or something like that. You got Excellent. some cool stuff. Yeah. Thanks for coming in, cool, man. I appreciate you. Thank brother. you. Thank you. Man. Take care. See you guys next time. Peace. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Startup Hustle with Matt DeCourcy and Matt Watson. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit startuphustle.xyz. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and subscribe. And we'll catch you next time on Startup Hustle.